Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 105. It's Thanksgiving week. I know that you all have many things to be thankful for this year, and I am no exception to that. It's been an incredible year for me, and I'm already looking forward to an amazing 2020. What am I thankful for this year, and where do I even start to rank them in order? It's impossible. First and foremost, I'm thankful for a great family, friends, I got health, I got a roof over my head, I got food on the table, and a couple bucks in my pocket, so that's first and foremost. But as far as the Back of the Range Golf podcast goes, here are a few things in no particular order that I am incredibly thankful for. Spent a great week covering the Walker Cup at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. I got an inside the ropes view of the American team the entire week, worked alongside my pal Dan McCoy who made all those videos and photos look so good, and I was welcomed by the USGA, the RNA, Royal Liverpool the entire time that I was there. So special thanks to all the people at AmateurGolf.com that made that week possible. Let's see, what else? I played golf at Pine Valley. Yes, I played the course, it was incredible. But the people that I was able to spend time with, that might have been more special. I played a round of golf with Chip Lutz, a former U.S. Senior Amateur Champion. I had my pal Serge Hogue on the bag for me, who was on last week's episode. In case you missed that, you have to go back and listen to it. He caddies at Pine Valley and Seminole. Just an amazing person. you got to listen to his story. I also got to meet Jim Holtgrieve, former Walker Cup captain. He was the first U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion. Got to see him later on the Walker Cup. So one of those great experiences that you really cherish. You can't really pay it back in any way. So just be thankful you got to do it. And I really am very thankful for that experience. Quail Ridge Country Club is my home course in the summer down here at South Florida. They take great care of me and all of my friends. And they recently commemorated my 100th episode with a very nice plaque that hangs on the wall there. So lots of great memories there. Lots of great people that take care of me whenever I'm there. So very thankful to them. The guests that take the time out of their schedules to chat with me each and every week, I'm absolutely blown away by the stories they share, the time they spend, their enthusiasm for amateur golf, their enthusiasm for this podcast. Almost every single one of them afterwards thanks me for having them on. Really, I'm the one thanking them because they share these great stories, and I think that's what draws people to the back of the range. Finally, really thankful for all the listeners. You know, this podcast continues to grow each and every week. The comments that come in from all over the country, all over the world, really thanking me for doing this podcast, I should be thanking you. And that's what I'm doing right now. So I never thought this podcast would get this big and reach as many people as it has. So, so like I always say, if you keep listening, I'll keep doing the podcast. Your support is appreciated. Your feedback is always appreciated. So keep leaving reviews in Apple Podcast. I know I say it all the time, but it really does help. really does mean a lot. And also, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and every previous episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Once again, don't forget that Free Tau Tuesdays are back every Tuesday on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You'll see a post just asking what your thoughts are, like this week, like, hey, what are your golf traditions? 
during Thanksgiving? What do you like to do on the weekend? Or do you just, you know, feed your face and watch football? That's cool too. But leave some comments, tag some friends. And yeah, I want to send some more towels out to everyone so you can rock it on your golf bag. Whatever you do, get out there on the golf course. So Thanksgiving week, can't not get this episode out. I've been putting it off, but you, you have to listen to this guest. You have to listen to this episode. Our guest this week is Brady Expert from Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, here's the thing about Brady. His amateur playing resume is more than enough to warrant his visit to the back of the range. He is a nine-time Southern Nevada Golf Association Player of the Year. He's a member of the Las Vegas Sports Hall of Fame, and he's won the British Senior Amateur as well as the Canadian Senior Amateur. If you want to Google him and see even more of what he's done on the golf course, go ahead. But be prepared to see multiple Player of the Year awards, multiple city and state amateur titles, it's a bit overwhelming. So the reason I'm highlighting his accomplishments now is because we didn't chat much about that on the episode because there was so much more to get to. Brady's a humble guy that grew up in Las Vegas in a gaming family. Yeah, Brady grew up around some really interesting characters. And yeah, we definitely hit on that. We talked about his start in the game, some of his more memorable adventures on the golf course, and his lone experience refereeing a golf match. You do not want to miss that story because it's almost unbelievable. Another topic we hit on was his experience playing against the kids at the 2008 U.S. Amateur. Brady Exper made match play at the U.S. Am at the age of 52. So speaking of being thankful, have to thank Ryan Chrysler at the Floridian for his assist on this episode. He put me together with Brady. You might see and hear more from Ryan on this podcast very soon. And congrats to him for being included in Golf Digest's list of the best teachers in the state of Florida. So let's get started. Thrilled to welcome golf's Mr. Las Vegas, Brady Exper, to the back of the range. How are you, sir? I'm good, Ben. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, inviting me in to to do this with you. Well, this is uh, I'm really excited about this episode. I love talking to the amateurs, and it seems like the the stories I get from the senior amateurs really resonate with uh, the entire uh, listener base here at the back of the range. You know, I've spoken to Chip Lutz and McCoy and Elliot and just a lot of these guys. And, and, you know, you have a lot of the uh, same accomplishments, uh, even uh, additional ones to your resume than they do. But let's, let's, before we get into that, I got to ask you, so you are, you're born and raised Vegas. So are you, are you the Wayne Newton of Vegas amateur golf or is, or is Wayne Newton, the Brady expert of Vegas entertainment? I mean, <laughs> no, I, you know what? That's funny. By the way, Wayne Newton was very and, underrated. And, I mean, and we're okay. off and we're off. Go ahead, Brady. Go, I, I knew yeah. we we're going to get into it real quick. And we're off. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Wayne. I, you know what? No, I want you to tell a story I, about I, Wayne Newton. Hell yeah. No, I don't know. I, I, all I know about Wayne Newton is I, I never wanted to go see him when I was a kid because he was kind of like a little nerdy, you know, and it was kind of nerdy if you went to that show versus, you know, uh, you know, a different, like a Sinatra show. Right, Everybody right. wanted to go see Sinatra, of course, right? So I went to see Wayne Newton one time. I was on a date and I went to see Wayne Newton and he was fantastic. There you go. He was, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen actually in Las Vegas. He was, he was unbelievable. He could play all the instruments, singer, a real entertainer, got, you know, connected with the audience. He yeah. was very good. So, 
so Wayne Newton. So, so you're not, we're, we're, they're not on the same level, but, but it's pretty close. Um, you know, any, <laughs> anyone that, anyone that looks up, that's listening right now, that looks up your name and accomplishments. I mean, I don't want to go through them all because it's embarrassing, Brady. I mean, nine time, <laughs> nine time Southern Nevada Golf Association Player of the Year. I mean, you've won, uh, you know, city amateurs and, and Nevada state amateurs and just all over the place. But talk to me a little bit about, how someone gets into the game of golf in Las Vegas as a kid. I mean, I know we all go there as our, you know, our golf trips and our, our buddy trips and bachelor parties and all that stuff. But what's it like growing up in Las Vegas back in what the fifties and sixties? Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the sixties, I was born here in 56 and that uh, was pretty small town back then, you know, in the, in the early sixties, you know, there was less than a hundred thousand people here and, and, uh, uh, so it's a pretty small town. We do have a little bit of a golf background here. We we yeah. had the, uh, the the first tournament of champions was here at the Desert Inn Country Club, and it was here for a while until they moved it to La Costa. So and then we've and then we've had a tour event here. You know, from the '60s, uh, there was a little hiatus there for a little while, and then the the Las Vegas Invitational came back. I think in 1983. Uh, so we've, we've got some, you know, golf history with professional golf tournaments. And, um, uh, of course, you know, for me, when I was a kid, I, you know, in the early (laughs) sixties, this is really funny, but you know, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers really just moved to Los Angeles from New York. Yeah. And so they were brand new out here in the West and all the kids, you know, we're all enthralled with the Dodgers. So we just wanted to play baseball. And how I got into golf was that my dad's, one of his best friends was a fellow named Maury Wills who played shortstop for the Dodgers. Of course. I know that name. So Maury was like, you know, I used to call him uncle Maury and I would spend a lot of time with him. And, and of course I'm thinking I'm going to be a baseball player and, I, I could hit and throw and good fielder, but I was a very slow runner. So Maury knew that I wasn't going to make it as a baseball <laughs> player, even though, even though I, I had a, I had like a, uh, like a partial scholarship is what I had to go to Pepperdine and play baseball there. And, but you know, he knew I wasn't going to make it. Sure. So he tried to push me into golf and he actually got me to play in the pro-am of the Los Angeles open. And just by chance, I got paired up with Gary Player. Oh gosh, here we go. Now I, mean, I how old are you at the time? Now this is I was nineteen. Oh my god. I was nineteen years old and I really wasn't much of a golfer at all. I you know, I play with my dad every once in a while. Uh, but uh, so I played with Gary Player and the group behind us is Arnold Palmer. So there are thousands of people out watching these guys on Pro-Am Day. And uh, uh, I couldn't. Now, this is back in the days of, of wooden-headed yeah, drivers. Simmons and, and golf ball. Yeah, right? everything's spinning yep. and just blades. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm on the driving range. I can't get the driver in the air. <laughs> it won't. I can't hit it in the air at all. So my dad goes over and he gets Gary Player to come over and watch me hit a ball 
And Gary says, you know, you might just want to take a three wood today oh. off of every tee. Just don't even hit the driver. Just take a three wood. And uh, so I remember I did that. And um, the first hole, it was at Riviera. Okay. So the first hole's at first hole's at par five, and I it's an elevated tee, and I hit a three wood off the tee, and I got it down on the fairway. Well, then I hit another three wood, and I got it on the green in two, on this par five. Off well, races. No, oh. Ben, you talk about a guy that, uh, yeah, I'm off to the races, but you know, so Gary Player comes over, and he's going to help me read the putt. Now, I'm such a novice that I'm looking at this putt, and it looks straight to me. And Gary Player says, this thing's going to break about eight or nine feet from right to left. Oh, I looked at him, and I said, "I said, yeah, I don't think so. And he, <laughs> that was right, okay? So he says, okay, well, then just go ahead and put it straight. Oh, so God. I yeah, right. So that was not my best move. But somehow I managed to do butt and then off to the races. But Gary Player was fantastic that day. Absolutely fantastic. And it, I think he really, you know, he actually encouraged me to play golf. And, uh, um, you know, I had some talent in there. I guess I had some natural ability, I guess I should say. And, uh, so he, he really encouraged me to do it. And, and so, you know, my baseball career ended and I started to play a little golf and that's how I got into it really. So you, you touched on your dad and, you know, I, if you, if you, if you don't mind, I just, I, I actually, I just have to, I have to ask. So your dad, Mel Expert, one of the pioneers of gaming in Vegas in the early fifties, um, right. you know, I'm not a big gambler, but uh, you know, when you hear <laughs> phrases like, you know, uh, you know, a teaser bet or things like that, everyone seems to know what mm -hmm. that is. Your dad invented mm -hmm. this. Yeah, your, that's correct. Your dad invented the teaser bet. Um, yes. And then I think also I, you know, for people old enough to remember the, uh, the, it was a very, uh, historical game where, uh, the Vikings lineman, Jim Marshall picked up a fumble and ran <laughs> the wrong direction. We hey we do our listen Brady we do our, we do our work over here we have a we have a team here that does all this this research but so wow oh yeah by team it's oh your team is on top of it so so Jim Marshall for anyone that remembers this is you'll see it on NFL films you'll see it in you know like blooper videos but he picks up the ball runs in the wrong end zone and anyway that game is remembered for a lot of reasons but why is that game kind of important with your family <laughs> well. So as the story goes, my dad, uh, my dad was a bookmaker. I mean, that's, that's just what yeah. he was. And, and, uh, so he had, you know, a he had clients that would bet and, uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of so, so many stories are hitting my head right now, but let, let's just start with this one. So my dad's on a losing streak okay. and anybody that, does any betting or any athletic endeavor you go in a slump you get on a losing streak it happens and sometimes you just need something to to break out of it right so my dad's really on this losing streak and the game uh as you've recalled it is being played 
and it's the Vikings against the 49ers, and my dad's losing this bet, and he can't stand it. So he can't watch it anymore. So he takes a walk. And uh, at that time, it was in downtown Las Vegas. He was working at the Las Vegas Club, which is a place that he and, and his partners bought in 1961. And, and uh, so he, he had to take a walk. So he starts walking and he walks about six or eight blocks down the street and he turns around. He's coming back. Well, in the meantime, he never saw the play because he's on this walk. He's on this walk. Well, one of the partners is watching the game and sees Jim Marshall run the ball back the other way and score uh, for the other team. Right. Which safety. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Scored for the other team, got my dad to win that bet on that game, and it just turned everything around for him. Crazy. And uh, and he got off the losing streak. He never saw the play. And he, as he was walking back to the hotel, one of the guys is out on the street saying, Mel, Mel, you won the game. He said, how can I win the game? And they explained what happened. Jim Marshall ran the ball back the other way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, so, uh, I, there's always someone that I, you know, whenever you see these weird plays in sports, someone is probably benefiting and someone is getting hurt. And, uh, yeah, glad, glad to hear that that, uh, has such a, it's a staple in, in the history of, uh, your, your father's, uh, gaming it, career. Um, well, you know, you know what they say, every shot makes somebody happy. There you go. Every play makes somebody happy. So, there you go. So, you know. so growing up in Vegas and playing and, and with, with the, the family business, so how did you get raised to, I'm assuming you're around some quote unquote, you know, golf hustlers and professional gamblers and sharks. I mean, you're around that. How do you grow up and actually become an actual, you know, properly functioning adult, but, and play the game? Like, how did you, I, I can't even imagine what, what kind of a childhood you had and, and growing up around the game where, you know, forget about the fact you're in Vegas, but around golf, there's all sorts of gambling and strokes and, and, and oh, yeah. yeah. So, so how did you, well, did you, I, uh, yeah. I, I appreciate your supposition that I'm a normal functioning adult. I, I mean, mean I'm doing I, the best I, I can, Brady, just hold it together. You'll be yeah, fine. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I, I'm going to go with it. Okay. Um, you know what? I think, uh, you know, I was actually kind of shielded from that a little bit um, because I, I because of my dad. Um, you know, I think he kind of uh, he kind of shielded me somehow uh, uh, about that. And there was there's something about and I and I don't know what it is, but there's something about the golf hustling scene that kind of turns me off. <clears throat> Yeah, because uh, I think I think a lot of it, you know, seeing it and seeing it firsthand, you know, we were I I'd play and do a lot of practicing over at Las Vegas Country Club, which was notorious back in that day for golf hustling. And, you know, when you talk about golf hustling, there's always somebody that's being taken advantage of. And I didn't ever like that. And, uh, so that's why I just didn't ever like the fact that, you know, if I was going to be a golf hustler, that meant that I would have to take advantage of somebody. And 
that just is not really in my personality. Yeah. No. Um, and I've seen it. You know, I've seen my friends do it. Uh, I've seen golf hustlers do it. Um, you know, and back in that day, there a bet would spring up out of absolutely nowhere sometimes. Uh, two guys, two poker players, let's say, would get in an argument. And one guy would say, you know what? I'll bet you 25000 I could beat you carrying my own bag walking backwards. That was the bet. That was the bet. Tom Fisher. I can't remember who the other fellow was, but that was the bet. Okay. 25000 Tom Fisher carried his bag and walked backwards. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it was in August and it was 110 degrees and he didn't make he didn't make it all the way oh around. So, <laughs> so that didn't work out too good for him. I'm assuming now, I mean, we're, we're going to go back to a couple of other things. We're going to jump around a little bit, but since we're talking about bets sure. and, 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 uh, and the craziness of these bets, um, I'd imagine that being in Vegas, you have, you have the gamblers, you have sports, you have celebrities, you have sports stars, everyone's coming into town. I, I mean, you had to have been around some of these matches saying, I can't believe I'm watching this right now. Um, I mean, do, yeah, I, I, mean so, I know you, I know you weren't in the matches cause that was really wasn't your thing, but I'm sure you were in a foursome where you're just a bystander to, like you said, you know, you know, Tom Fisher walking backwards or just, I'm sure you're around some of these things. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm brand new to golf and I have a good friend of mine who's a really good golfer, a good you know, he's, he's a young guy. He's like, he's like my age, uh, he, at the time is like 19, 20 years old. And I, this is this, uh, in my mind's eye, this is still so vivid after so many years. Okay. So I, I, I know this, I, I, this is a good friend of mine and I get, I get out of school one afternoon and, uh, I go over to, to the Las Vegas country club. I'm going to hit some balls. And my friend grabs me and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to practice a little bit. He said, I need a referee. I have a match and I need a referee. I said, well, I don't know how to referee. I don't even know the, I, I don't know that I can referee. I mean, what does a referee do? Right. He said, I just need you to walk around with us and just referee. I said, but I don't even know the rules. And he says, well, we're, I have a match with another guy and it's a one club match. We each get to use one club for all the shots. And I said, okay, all right, fine. You know, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll walk around with you. I, as long as I don't have to do anything. Right. So I'm standing on the first tee and here comes Jim Brown, the football player. Oh gosh. Now this is, this is like in the mid seventies. So Jim Brown's been retired, but he retired young. He's still a pretty young guy. Right. And he's, he's big. <laughs> Okay. He's, he's, he's a big fella. So Jim Brown, uh, his, his one club is a three wood and my friend's one club is a five iron and they, they start playing and I'm walking with them and we're, we're just all walking and, uh, and it's just the three of us, they're playing and I'm watching and, uh, they play around. And of course, you know, it's, it's, you know, a three woods difficult to play all the shots with, of course. So, right. um, uh, so Jim Brown's having a little bit of a tough time. He's kind of falling behind. There's a few extra bets here and there going on. And, and when I say extra bets, I'm saying, you know, in the mid seventies and these bets are like, you know, three and $5,000 bets. 
each one of them. Yeah, pretty pretty so pretty healthy junk. Yeah, pretty healthy junk going on. Yeah. So we get to the 16th hole, and Jim Brown hits his three wood out there, and it gets out pretty good. And my friend hits his five iron out there, and and it's out there okay for a five iron. And he's got somewhere over 200 yards to the green, and he has to carry a bunker and have the ball land on the green. And, of course, back in that day, it was very difficult to hit a five iron that far. So my friend hits this shot, and I'm standing. My friend's on the right side of the fairway. Jim Brown's on the left side and about maybe 40 yards up the fairway. My friend hits this five iron, and it lands, carries the bunker, lands on the green, and stops on the back of the green. Jim Brown comes running over, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is not a good thing. He's running full steam, yelling at my friend, you're f***ing me. I know you're f***ing me. I don't know how you're f***ing me, but you're f***ing me. And he, and, and I'm thinking, I'm going to watch Jim Brown just <laughs> kill my friend because I can't stop it, right? There's no way. He grabs my, my friend kind of ducks. Jim Brown grabs his five iron out of his hand, looks at it, and he just he looks and goes, I know you're f***ing me. I don't know how you're f***ing me. And he throws the club on the ground and walks away. And I thought, oh, my God, thank God. Uh-huh. You know, because I'm thinking, I, I really thought my friend was, that was it, yeah. right? Well, they get done playing, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm so glad that's over. I'm never refereeing anything ever again, right? So my friend looks at me and says, uh, you don't mind taking Jim back to the Stardust, do you? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. Now I got this little Fiat car, and I got Jim Brown in the car with me. I'm driving back to the Stardust, where where he, he was actually in town doing that. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Casino, but in the movie, the the, the guy, De Niro's character that played Lefty yeah. Rosenthal. Yeah, Ace. Yeah. He, had a t- he had a sports betting TV show. And Jim Brown was on that show with him. Okay, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, yeah. So I'm giving him a ride back to the Stardust, and Jim Brown the whole way is telling me what a bad guy my friend is, and I shouldn't hang around him, and you know, uh, and I thought, boy, I'm never going to referee another match. Well, so that's that's definitely one for the ages, and I guess that ended your golf referee career pretty quickly. That was it. I'm done. I I never refereed another match after that. So that was probably one of the more tense experiences. Um, what about just the random celebrity that, because you know, I'm imagining that your connection just through your dad, through the industry, you know, all these entertainers coming in, whether they can play or they can't play, all these people coming in, just when you right. look back and think about like, I can't believe I got the opportunity to play golf with this guy. Is there anyone? I'm sure there's. I'm sure you can go into several different ones. But is there any one that you're thinking like, I'm so glad I can tell someone. You know, I'm so glad I could say today that I played golf with this guy. I, I got to play with a few different guys. I mean, uh, I got to play with a guy named Buddy Greco, who was who was a a, a good singer, a lounge singer, uh, loved to play golf. Uh, you know, he'd call me every morning. I'd I get off work at about three in the morning, and Buddy would call me at at seven. And say, let's go play golf. Oh, and finally, I said, buddy, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I played with, I played quite a bit of golf with Mac Davis, who was uh, kind of a country singer back, uh, well-known country singer back in the day, uh, and who, and one of the nicest guys ever. 
Um, I got to play a lot of golf with him. Uh, and, and, but the guy who's, who's hilarious uh, that I got to play a lot of golf with is Don Rickles. Oh my God. And, you played golf with Rickles? Yeah. Don Rickles was the worst golfer. Uh, he and, he and Jack Lemon had to be the worst. Okay. They, they were, and, and not without a possibility of getting better. Okay. So just right. got it. Okay. You know, and Rickles was left-handed. And, you know, all he wanted to do was just hit a couple good shots every time he'd go out to play. Not, he didn't even want to make a par. He'd say, I just want to hit a couple good shots. Can you get me to, you know, he'd kind of talk fast. Can you get me to hit a couple good shots? I I just want to hit a couple good ones. Just a couple good ones. And, uh, uh, you know, so, and I would try to get him to hit a couple good shots, but it was really difficult. A lot of work. You know, we, oh, I can't even tell you how many times. Don, just drop on over here. Just, just kick that out. You know, just, you know, there was a lot of that. And, uh, but he was a great guy. And then he would say, you know, he's so nice. Right. And really kind of, um, well, he wasn't, I I wouldn't say he was quiet, but he was very, um, polite. Yeah. Well, it was all all an act. His his act was just, yeah. Yeah. That's been said about him for, for ages. Just the people in, in the, in the industry and his friends, he's big friends with uh, Bob Newhart and, and all that, uh, you know, a lot of people yep. say just an absolute sweetheart of a guy, but on stage, he'll just, he'll rip anyone apart. Sure. Right? He's one of my all time, one of my all time favorites. But uh, Well, he said to me one day, he said, he said, what are you doing tonight? We're, we're, we're getting done playing golf. He says, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, I'm not doing anything. And he said, you want to come to the show? I said, yeah, I'd love to come to the show. So he gets me a couple of tickets to go to the show, I grab a friend of mine. He was at the Sahara at the time, the Sahara Hotel. And we go to the show, and, you know, he starts out. When he would come out, they'd play the horns, you know. and Yeah, the, and bull, the bullfighter like some, thing. The bullfighter thing. The bullfighting thing, yeah. So they'd play, the, they'd play the horns, and he would come out. And within five minutes of the show, of him opening, I was thinking, is this the same guy that I played golf with today? Yeah. I mean, no, it was hysterical. Yeah. You know, and you can't, some of the stuff he would say back then, you can't say. Oh, yeah. You, you just can't. can't. No, no, but, no, no. That's, but, but that was one of the big things. People are like, you know, you're not a real comedian or you're not a real entertainer. You're not, you're nobody until Rickles takes, you know, kind of takes the piss out of you. That's exactly right. And by the way, when he said, do you want to go to the show tonight? I said, I do, but I'd like to sit in the back. <laughs> of course. Of course. I I, I'm not kidding. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, I no, know he was great. Yeah. He was, he was incredible. I know that we could probably tell Vegas stories forever, but I, I don't want to oh, yeah. gloss over, uh, you know, there's a lot of great things you've done in amateur golf. Um, I don't know. Did you ever have the desire to turn professional? No, because I started, you know, I started so late. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I never had the junior golf deal. Uh, I never, I, I never got to really be, a, a you know, I, I wasn't really a single digit handicap until I was probably 25 or 26. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. And yeah. And I had a good job and, you know, uh, you know, I had a good job in my family business and, uh, I was very, you know, you know, it sounds weird, but I was very loyal to my, to my dad. Um, you know, which is not always, the doesn't, case. doesn't sound weird. Yeah. At all. Well, it's not always the case. And in, and in this, in our business, 
in our in our business, uh, you know, where you know money is your inventory, um, you know, loyalty is very important. And uh, I, in my in my work career, I've seen a lot of people that were not loyal to the business or not loyal to their partners or just not loyal to their friends. And so I, I kind of felt like, you know, that's, that was a big thing for me uh, is to, you know, help my dad and, and, you know, be a good, uh, a good partner, you know, so I, I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't really uh, think about ever uh, turning professional and and back then, you know, Jack Nicholas is the leading money winner. He's making what two hundred and eighty thousand a year, you know, plus whatever endorsements he had. So, you know, I, I had a pretty good job. I wasn't making two hundred eighty thousand, but I had a pretty darn good job. Right. It wasn't the multi million dollar endeavor that it is now, or that it could be now. Um, yeah. So you know, I I spoke with uh, Jim Holtgreve on a previous episode. He was an amateur for a long time. Then he actually went and played the the Champions Tour for a little bit, and he kind of spoke about that. You know, if you didn't play the regular tour, um, some of those pros maybe didn't. You know, maybe they didn't look look as keenly upon a lifelong amateur that kind of wanted to just enter the the pro ranks at the Champions Tour level. You know, I know. You know, you just said you, you've never played professionally, but you did play in open championships as an amateur. I know you've played in, in numerous state ones, and, uh, you know, I know you've yeah. know you've won the Arizona uh, Senior Open, but um, I think yeah. it was back in, like, 2009 or, or 2010. I, I'm just curious, like, did you ever run into experiences where you felt maybe unwelcomed as an amateur playing in open events? Yes. So, um this is kind of a funny deal. So I'm, uh, I'm playing in the, in the Arizona senior open. Uh, it's probably my, it might be my second time playing in it, but, uh, it was a, it's a, a 54 hole event. And on the last day with four holes to go, I have a four shot lead. So, and I'm playing with two other guys. Uh, and we're on the 15th hole. And, and I'll, I'll tell you the story. I'll never forget it. And, and you'll see why. So the 15th hole was a short par four. And the day before I had knocked it on the green and made a putt for a two. So I'm going to knock it on the green again. I'm playing really well. And I got teed up and in, you know, in Arizona, uh, the, you know, the, the desert golf courses, the tee boxes are kind of small, you know, there's not a lot of grass area. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm teed up. And the two guys I'm playing with are standing. I mean, they're they're within ten feet of where I'm standing, and they're they're standing on the dirt, and I've got it teed up. And one of the guys that I'm playing with, as I'm getting ready to swing, he says to the other guy, not whispering, he says, "You know, we can't let this guy win this tournament." So okay. I back off. I don't look at him. I get back up. I get ready to hit again. He says we can't let this guy win because he's an amateur. I back off again. And then the fourth time he does this three times and I'm, you know, kind of, I know it's good. He's going to run out of lines. Yeah. So, so the fourth time I get back up and he says, and I mean, I'm getting ready to pull the club back. Right. So, you know, we're ready to go. He says, you know what? I play better for money. Let's play for a hundred dollars a hole from here in. 
Well, now I back off and I walked over to him and I said, I'll tell you what, I play better for money too. Let's play for 10,000 a hole from here in. And he just stood there and I said, yeah, I didn't think so. So let's just go, let's just finish, you know, and go. So, so we get to the 18th hole. I'm going to win the tournament. Uh, I've got a putt for a birdie. I, I kneel down to read it. He says to me, come on, just, just two putt and let's get out of here. So I do my thing anyway. And, uh, I walk off the green and there's a fella, uh, uh, named, uh, John Chafee, who is, who played on the tour and he's a friend of mine. And he congratulated me as I walked off the green and the guy says, why are you congratulating him? He's an amateur. <laughs> oh God. So, yeah, I mean, it went all the way. It went all the way to the scoring table where we where we're doing the scorecards. And he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, you can have the trophy. I'll take the money. I said, well, that's okay, because I'm going to have this trophy a lot longer than you're going to have that money. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, you know, so that was, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, I have to say that, you know, that I mean, that's kind of a, that's a real, real story. And it has nothing to do with sportsmanship, obviously. Obviously, yeah. So. Um, you've played in, you know, uh, switching gears to re actually natural and regular amateur tournaments. You know, you've played in multiple mm -hmm. USAMs. And, you know, you actually yes. made match play in the 08 USAM at Pinehurst at the uh, at the, the Spry. Is Spry a good word? At yes. the Spry age of 52, you make match play. You know, many, <laughs> you know, you don't see a lot of mid-ams making it to match play at the USAM. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of them. Um, you know, making it, you know, let alone, you know, a senior amateur technically at the time. Um, right. you know, I, I, I know you've won tons of events of, as we've stated earlier, but what kind of sticks out from that experience of being, you know, a, a you know, in your fifties, making match play in a, in a U.S. amateur, what kind of sticks out from there that you could possibly impart some wisdom or lessons to you know seniors or mid-ams that are playing against college kids whether or not they're at it's at a usga event or even at their own home club championship or an invitational like how did you mentally get yourself prepared for an experience like that it's funny because you know as you go as, it, as an older guy going into a, a u.s amateur you really have nothing to lose right you, there's you know your your future pro career has you know is not depending on your your performance right so you know the kids have a lot of pressure on them to perform well um uh and and to show coaches or agents or whoever you know might be hanging around the tournament yeah uh, or walker walker cup you know if they're if they're ready or or if they're uh kind of uh uh playing to get on the walker cup you know i mean it's a lot of pressure on the kids and I think sometimes the parents, you know, don't realize how much pressure there is on the kids and, and being inside the ropes and playing with the kids a few times a year, you know, you get to, you, you know, I, I get to hear different stories or, or how the kids talk, you know, without their parents right there. Um, and, and there's a lot of pressure on these kids. And I, and I, you know, it would be great if the parents would, and a lot of parents do, but a lot of parents don't realize how much pressure there is on the kids and how much, uh, how much, uh, pressure they're helping to put on the, on their own kids, you know, and, uh, it's, it's tough on them. Uh, I had, uh, I, I actually played, 
my uh, my second match was against Patrick Reed. Oh wow! And he had, yeah, he had his father caddying for him, and uh, you know I got to see firsthand kind of a uh, and and I, I don't want to be unfair and I, you know Patrick is you know I, I you know I've seen him a few times but not for many years and he's always seemed to be a good good guy to me and I I don't want to you know I know he's got some stuff there with his dad but sure uh, but I got to see I got to see firsthand you know a parent like really doing like thought control stuff on their kids and it it uh it kind of shook me up to be honest with you. It, it really shook me up. Uh, and then actually, I, I actually, uh, Patrick beat me. And then a couple of days later, uh, he was playing the semifinals and his dad had bad blisters. And, uh, uh, Patrick said, geez, he came over to me. I was in the gallery and he came over and he said, look, he said, I, I my dad can't make it. You know, he can't, he can't walk. And he couldn't, he was right. 60 yards, 60 yards behind. Right. And I said, well, Patrick, I'll, you know, give me your bag. I'll carry your bag. Wow. He said, really? I said, of course I will. You know, I mean, you know, I, I got a lot of respect for the guy. He's a great, I mean, everybody knows now he's a great golfer, but I, I learned it back then when he beat my brains in, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's really good. So uh, you have a golf referee background. You have a golf caddy background. I mean, you just you're in all you're in all parts of the game, aren't you? You know what? It's I've had a lot of uh, great golf has given me a lot of great opportunities and mm. uh, to meet people and to do different things and and um, I, I probably don't take it. Uh, there's a lot of senior amateur golfers that that are very very serious about you know, tournaments and winning the tournaments and, you know, and I, I look, I like winning tournaments and I've won a lot of tournaments, but I, I it's got its place. You know, it, it, it's got its place. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to put a, you know, an over you know, abundance of importance on, on senior amateur golf. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about the, you know, it's a lot it's of fun. Camaraderie. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of camaraderie to it. Um, and, and we get to play a lot of great places. No, there's no question about that. And, uh, um, uh, and it's a lot of fun, you know, uh, it is, it is a lot of fun, but, uh, and I, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like to play good. And I, if I get in position, I like to win, but, but it's not my life, yeah. you know? You, you've uh, you've won the British Senior Amateur. You've won the Canadian Senior Amateur. Uh, if you had to pick which one you would recommend, senior amateurs to try and go qualify for and play in just for not just the, you know, obviously the courses change from year to year and obviously weather, yeah. weather can come into factor probably, you know, both places, whether it's overseas or it's up in Canada, but what would be the one that you would say, Hey, you, you gotta go, you gotta go play this once. I know that's a hard decision, but. You know what? It's, it's tough because it, you know, I'm going to, and I'll, I'm going to give you an answer, but, I, but what I, I don't want to make, I don't want to pick one over another because they're different. Okay. Uh, uh, I like the 72 hole stroke play of the Canadian senior amateur. Um, I like the stroke play better than I like the match play. Match play is not really my favorite. Okay. Um, but I will say this. Uh, when I, 
I, so as you mentioned earlier, I, I did win the Arizona senior open and, uh, and then I, then when I won the, uh, the British senior amateur, I'm in the car with my friend, Doug Poole. We're driving, uh, back towards London to catch our flight home. And Doug said to me, he said, you know, uh, what do you think? He said, do you think this is your biggest win ever? And I said, no, I think the Arizona senior open is, you know, because of the field, you know, you're beating pros and tour pros and you're beating good players. And Doug said, yeah, but nobody knows you won that tournament. Everybody's going to know you won this tournament. And he was right. The next day I had hundreds of text messages. Wow. Hundreds. So from that standpoint, the fact that if you want somebody to know that you've won a tournament or that you've played in a tournament, the British senior amateur is the tournament. That's pretty, that's well said. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's gotta be a tough, plus the history over there. I mean, I love going over there and just seeing the, the, it's just a different, it's just different over there. You know, of course the RNA, uh, you know, they do a fantastic, they, they, the RNA and the USGA and the Canadian golf, you know, golf Canada, they, they all do a great job of running their national championships. They all do. They're, they're just really fantastic with it. So from that standpoint, any of those are great tournaments to play in. Um, but, but I think just from a, if you're going to play in one, you know, the British senior amateur is a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, before I get, I have a couple more that I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you're, you probably got a game waiting for you, but I wanted to ask you, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a member down at the Floridian down here in Palm city, Floridian, yes. you know, was purchased by Jim Crane from, from Wayne Heisinga. Jim Crane is the, uh, the owner of the Astros who are, as we speak in the ALCS against the Yankees and, um, as of right now, they're doing well. We just, hopefully they keep, uh, keep moving in that direction. Um, yes. but, but you're, so you're in the ownership group of the Astros that took control of the team in 2011. Um, how, how did that start? I know this is, this is kind of related to golf because, you know, you play a lot of golf there at the Floridian, but, um, when someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you want to own a major league baseball team? And again, this is in 2011 when the Astros were not doing well. Um, right. Wh- where, where did that start? How much fun has that been in, in, in as an addition to your life? I got to tell you, I mean, it's, it is, it's a dream thing for me. I mean, uh, it's a dream thing for me. And, and, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I said this to Jim, I saw Jim Crane the other day and I, I, you know, I just thank him and, and I pinch myself every time I, I think about this, but, you know, we were in Houston watching the games the other day and, and I, I, I'm so grateful that he allowed me to be a, I mean, and, and when I say a small part, I mean, I'm a small part of this deal. So you own the, um, you own the rosin bag and he owns the field. Is that what you're saying? Well, he would say that I, I don't, I, I, I own the bag, but I don't own the rosin that's in the bag. Got it. Okay. So, so <laughs> um, no, you know what? I think what, you know, I, I had gone to some baseball games with Jim in Houston prior to, uh, prior to 2011. And we talked about, you know, and I played golf with him uh, quite a number of times and, and, uh, I got, you know, I, I got friendly with Jim and, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I told him about my experience growing up and being friends with Maury Wills and, 
getting to go down to Maury's house and staying with him while they would be playing at home and, you know, going out on the field in Maury's uniform. Uh, Maury would let me put on his uniform and I'd go out at Dodger stadium before the game on the field. And, and uh, so I got to do all those things. And I think that, you know, just the Jim being as kind hearted as he is when he, put the deal together to buy the Astros, he called me up and said, is this something that you'd be willing to put any money into? Yeah. And I said, yeah, of course I would. Are you kidding me? It's a dream. Now, of course I'm not in, uh, you know, he basically made a spot for me and some of his other friends to get in this deal. And I'm forever grateful that, that he did that for me because it's, it's a dream come true. If you can pick one of the the pick a moment of the time that you've been involved with the Astros, I mean, obviously, you know, winning a World Series, but you know, so where were you during the World Series? I mean, have you had moments where you're just like, like just like you said, it's a dream come true, but maybe just kind of you know crystallize that for some people listening. Like, what experience have you had with in Major League Baseball with the Astros because of this that most of us would be like, I can't believe I get to do something like this. I mean, even spending you know, you know, on the golf course with the guys, or 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 just being around. You know them. what? Yeah. Not 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 being around the players too much because, you know, the the players do their thing, and and you know they they don't want to be around. You know, we've got a big ownership group, and they don't want to be around a whole bunch of old guys that think they know how to play their game. You know. Sure. Um, but for me, it's it's more just the fact that knowing that somehow I'm involved in the, in the, in the thing in yeah. a, in a very small way. Um, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I, I, and, and, you know, I put on my Astros hat and I go out to the golf course and, and everybody, not everybody, but people know, you know, they, you know, they'll needle me about the Astros or, or sometimes wish me luck. Um, you know, it's just, it's a really neat thing. You know, it's, I guess it's a, I, I don't know. It's, it's a vanity investment, but, but with Jim, it's really a business investment. Sure. So, um, uh, it's fantastic. And I, I, I will say that when we were in the world series with the Dodgers, I went to the first six games. Um, and then I had to be in Florida the day after game seven. So I had to go to Florida the day of game seven. So when I got there and I'm staying at the Floridian, um, we have the game on TV, me and some other friends of mine. And it, when it got down to the ninth inning, I couldn't stay in the room. I had to, I had to go outside. I couldn't watch. So like, like father, just, so like father, like son, actually. It, right. There you go. How about that story? There you go. I had to go outside. And of course now my friends, you know, Kevin Marsh, who's a great amateur golfer. Yeah. He was there you know, he's making fun of me, you know, uh, I mean, he had to come out and get me the game's over. You won, you know? <laughs> so, Oh my gosh, what a relief. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing thing. I love that, that story. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, the one thing also I want to ask you, I know we we spoke previously, but this is such a great story. You've, you've played amateur tournaments all over the country and, uh, you know, invariably you're playing as a mid-am or a senior am and you see these young kids kind of come and go and, you know, some maybe you never see again after they 
maybe hit their peak playing collegiately and then some obviously make it to the professional ranks and you know as a lifetime amateur you know it must be fun for you to you know see a guy win one weekend he's got the wife and the kids running out on the green and the trophy and thanking all the sponsors and meanwhile in the back of your head you're thinking to yourself man i remember when that guy was a broke college kid that couldn't afford a burger and fries i mean can you think back to any can you think back to any of the players that that maybe someone would be surprised to hear like yeah that was one of those guys that's now on tv ben i'll tell you you know we we, we've told some stories today and 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 you know one of the things for for me with these stories and and growing up in las vegas and seeing people from different parts of the world and and different industries uh and to do like kind of an evaluation of of you know kind of their what made their what makes their personality right so there's there's one story that fits that and i think it's a role model story for me it is and it was a great lesson for me even though i'm much older than this guy but i played in the northeast amateur in maybe 1994 three 93 94 and i got paired uh i got paired with a guy and during the round we decided that we would go to a boston red sox game because we're playing in rhode island it's an hour or so drive let's go to the red sox game okay so I've got a rental car. This other guy's in college and he doesn't have a car. So I'm going to drive. And he says to me, Hey, can we take my friend uh, along with us? I said, sure. You know, got a big car, take a couple guys. So he invites his friend to come with us and his friend is drinking and he's drinking beer and, 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 you know, he's drinking hard liquor and he's drinking and he's drinking on the drive up. He's in the back seat, and we get to the game. We buy tickets. We go to the game. He's drinking beer during the game. After the game, we go across the street to a bar and to let the traffic die down. And he has a few drinks. Now, I don't drink. Okay. I, I, I just don't drink. I, I don't drink. I don't have a beer. I don't have a I don't drink. So anyway, he's drinking. Well, on the way home, on the way back to Rhode Island, he's in the back of the car and he's just getting sick. He's had too much to drink and he's getting sick in the car. And it was it was a mess. So a few years later, I'm watching a tour event and I, I'm looking. And I thought, you know, that guy looks like the guy that got sick in the back of my car, you know, and I thought, you know what? That's the guy. I know who the guy is. I'm not going to say anything because you know, I, I, I like this fella and, you know, I, I only met him that night and, and one other time after that, which was years later, uh, Butch, I'm going out to Butch Harmon's school in Las Vegas and I've known Butch for many, many, many years. And I go out there and he's working on the range with somebody and I walk up and Butch says, Brady, let me introduce you to Stuart Sink. And Stuart Sink turns around and he said, did I get sick in the back of your car one oh night? Oh, my gosh. I, I said, yes, you did. I said, yes, you did. He said, do you know that that night changed the trajectory of my life? He said, I, I realized that here I am with a guy who owns a hotel in Las Vegas. I'm in the back of his car as a drunk college kid making an idiot out of myself. He said, 
I, I want to, if I remember this correctly, he said a year later I was married and a year later than that, we had our first child. He said that just turned me around. And I thought, you know what? That, and I, I told him, I said, Stuart, you know, I've never told anybody that story ever. And he said, no, it's okay. Because it wound up being a good thing. It changed, it, it changed me. It made me realize what I had to do to be successful. And so when I, that's, that's what I got out of it. Wow. You know, so when I see college kids that are, you know, not behaving properly, and I, I of course, I realize now that I'm older, I, I know what it takes. Right. And, you, you know, you can see who's going to make it and who's going to have a problem. And, uh, but Stuart Sink is, he's a role model. That guy is top notch in, in my book. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an incredible story. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Just think if you uh, guys hadn't gone to that game that night. So, well, you know, who, he might have, you know what? It was probably sitting inside of him. Oh, you know, sure. he knew, he knew what was right, but, but that night just tipped it for him. You know, that was a tipping point for him. He probably would have had another tipping point, but, but it's just funny how you cross paths with people in, in your life and in their life and, and people that I never thought I would ever cross paths with. Of course. Um, you know, whether it's Maury Wills, Butch Harmon, probably most of all, my, my, my wife, you know, who is absolutely wonderful. And if you're, if you're a senior and you're playing senior amateur golf and you're playing in a lot of tournaments, uh, chances are you have a very supportive wife. And I, I mean, I, I know I say that for a lot of guys, you know, I, I've seen, you know, a, a lot of guys, you know, whether it's Gene Elliott or Jack Hall, um, Doug Hansel, you know, uh, Chip Lutz, you know, all these guys that are these great amateur players, you know, they all have very supportive wives. And, and I can guarantee you uh, that that just, just I know for me, it just makes all the difference in the world. Well said. I, I would have to agree with you. Um, let me get you. Uh, let me get you out of here on this one. If I, you know, I was just recently out in Vegas, got to play, uh, you know, Bally High and Paiute and Cascada. Had a great time. But if I'm, if I'm coming out for a golf weekend and I'm hanging with Brady Expert, what does our weekend look like? <laughs> I want to hear what the well, I want to hear what the Brady Expert experience looks like. Uh, hopefully, hopefully Jim Brown isn't around. Uh, no, no Jim Brown. Um, but, but give me an idea if if I need to go do Vegas the right way with, with a guy that's been there all his life, give me a, give me a couple places that, uh, that I need that, that I might end up. You're going to bed early. If you're hanging around me, so <laughs> okay, all right. No, no, I mean we're hitting the four ninety nine. We're hitting the four ninety nine buffet at four o'clock. Is what you're saying? That's you know. Well, I should say no. Wait a minute. You're not getting home early in the morning. You're going to bed early that's at what, night. That's what I mean. No. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'm not into the blue light. You know, the blue plate special yet. You know, I mean, I'm not into that. But. Okay. Um, I'm not that old yet, but, uh, you know, being around the, the casino business for so many years, all my life, I don't, I very rarely go down the strip very rarely. Um, uh, so, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have people call me and say, Hey, can you, can you help me with a tea time? Yeah, sure. Well, it's going to be hot. So we want to play early. All right. What time would you like to play? Eight o'clock. Okay. 
I'm going to say 70% of the people cancel. Right. <laughs> they they, yeah, they, they don't just, make the tea time. Yeah, they can't do it. Yeah, they're not thinking. So, you know, I don't I don't go clubbing. I kind of keep that I kind of keep the tourist Vegas scene separate. Uh, occasionally if some people come in to town, you know, maybe we'll do something, but, but, um, I, am I keep it pretty separate. Uh, but along those lines, I will tell you this, I got, uh, my wife got an email on her, on her email account from a guy who was coming over from Scotland and the email said, uh, Hey, I got your email address from so-and-so over here in Scotland. And he said to get a hold of you, I'm coming to town for a bachelor party. I've got uh, 11 guys with me. We want to play golf three days. and But only two guys are bringing their clubs. So the other nine, are you, they'll have to rent clubs. Right. So get us get us some tee times for that. And then, um, and then take us out on the strip. We'll be there for a week and take us out on the strip. And, you know, we want to, you know. So basically, he wanted me to to plan his his bachelor party for him. So I do get I do get those requests every once in a while. I didn't realize you were in that business, Brady. But okay, this, I, uh, <laughs> you, you, I didn't either, Ben. Didn't either. I I didn't either. No, I'm not sure what that guy did on his bachelor party because oh. I wasn't part of it. But I did get a request to plan one. Nice, nice. Yeah, Brady. This was uh, <laughs> this is absolutely fantastic. I feel we left probably three or four hours of stories on the on the cutting room table but uh i really do appreciate you joining i know that uh a lot of uh, tournaments in your future and things you're going to accomplish and hopefully we'll get to catch up again another time and uh yeah thank you again for for stopping by here at the back of the range ben thank you very much i appreciate you having me on with you thank you very much and there you have it. Special thanks to brady expert for joining us this week here at the back of the range golf podcast don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Everything you need is at thebackoftherange.com. Enjoy Thanksgiving with your family and friends, and we'll see you again next week here at the Back of the Range.